Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. What box or boxes do you have left to check now in your coaching career if you won a national championship? Well, I check the biggest box. You know, for me personally, uh, just to be, uh, you know, part of the family, you know, uh, with my dad who won a national championship with Western Kentucky in 2002 and John Harbaugh who won the Super Bowl 2012 season, 2013 Super Bowl. I get to sit at the, uh, the big person's table now. Uh, that, that feels really good. Just, uh, you know, to be, to be the only coach in your own family that you know, hasn't won a national t- title uh, or Super Bowl, the, the championship, uh, yeah, that feels great personally. Well, Jim Harbaugh finally did it nine years at Michigan, and he wins the national championship. He has climbed that mountain. The question is, is there another mountain out there, a bigger mountain, a mountain he's tried to climb in the past that he failed to reach the summit of thanks to his brother, John, who beat him in that game some 11 years ago. We're going to talk about that and much more. It is day two of the offseason for 18 teams, and we are inching closer to the start of the postseason for 12 of the 14 teams. So this is one of those great weeks. It's broken the routine. You know, when you get to the regular season, Shireen, every week is the same. Every Monday is the same. Every Tuesday is the same. Every Wednesday is the same. And it's great, but it does get a little monotonous after a while. And that's why I welcome this rush of activity and all these crazy things. And the biggest curveball that's been thrown at us is what is Jim Harbaugh going to do? And we're going to try to figure that out. Although I don't think anyone will know until he decides, including him. And good morning. Well, good morning. I don't think we're having as good a day as our co-worker Josh Alper is having today. A Michigan man himself is probably enjoying this Wolverines victory today, I think, judging by the text messages that we got last night. Yeah, that's right. And look, it's a great feeling when your favorite team accomplishes something like that, especially when you went to school there. It is amazing to me how many people who didn't go to a given school, nevertheless become ardent fans of that school, either by geography or by where they lived at one point or just by choice. You pick a favorite college the same way you pick a favorite NFL team. It's just 
something that you see, something that you like. And there's a great tradition, obviously, with Michigan, but it had been a long time, 1997, the last time Michigan won a national championship. And even then, it was split. No split now. They win the playoff 15-0 for the first time ever. Not that they ever would have let them play 15 games before this year. I thought it was funny when they said, oh, Michigan's 15-0 for the first time ever. It's probably the first time they've ever played 15 games. 15 is a lot for college football. It used to be 11 and a bowl game, and that's it. And now we're getting up into the teens, deeper into the teens, as college football becomes a bigger and bigger business, and we saw it on display last night. And the game itself... It felt like it was going to be one of those 70s style Super Bowl blowouts. It really just seemed like Michigan was going to run away with it early. And the next thing you know, Washington's hanging around. And then, you know, the final score is misleading because it didn't get out of hand until Washington had plenty of chances to make it interesting, plenty of chances to maybe even tie it up. Once it went to 27 to 13, that was it for me. It just felt like Washington wasn't going to be able to move the ball down the field with enough urgency to score twice. But it was close, and it was exciting until the moment midway through the fourth quarter when it wasn't. But you never felt like, Mike, that Michigan was going to lose that game. Even if they went for it on fourth down, that's where it could have gotten out of hand. They went for it on fourth down, didn't get that, and then – Washington goes down to scores and, and makes it a, a one-score game and a close game. But I always felt like Michigan was going to win that game. And as a person who didn't have a horse in the race, I, I, just, I didn't find that game all that exciting. I thought the semifinal games were much more exciting uh, down to the finish. And this one just didn't go down to the finish because it did get out of hand late. And, and I saw Matthew Berry you know, uh, tweeted that, you know, probably the real Final Four was Georgia, Alabama, uh, and and uh, Michigan, and who was the other one he had? Whoever it was, but it wasn't Washington, and it wasn't Texas, and yeah, and, and he and he may be right. Like you know, that's still the argument of was this the real Final Four? You know, and of course Florida State got left out, being undefeated, but they solved that problem a little bit next year with the twelve. There's still going to be some argument over, you know, the 12th team, the 11th team, the 10th team, all of that sort of stuff. But at least you're not going to leave out undefeated teams next year, Mike. I saw something yesterday in the crush of NFL news suggesting that the 12 teams isn't set in stone yet. There are legal issues that still need to be worked out or something like that. So we're all expecting an expanded playoff field next year. And the fight will always linger at the spot where you're left out of the club. Last one in, first one out, there's going to be a fight. But the farther you get away from number one, the less potent that argument's going to be. And you think about a team like Michigan this year, if they'd have been, and they would have gotten, I don't know how they're going to structure it, but regardless, you're going to have some lopsided games the deeper you go into the ranks of college football. This isn't like the NFL, where any given Sunday, it just doesn't feel like you can have that same thing. And I know there can be upsets, but... I don't think it's going to be I – think, I think we might regret yeah. expanding the field. I think it's going to lead to more lopsided Maybe. games and these interminable college football games with commercial breaks that take forever. It's good to know yeah. they're making more and more and more money that they don't share with the players, and they make <laughs> it sit there for three and a half hours to four hours watching a game because the commercial breaks are – they feel so much longer than they do for an NFL game, but you've got to justify that money that you don't share with the, the, uh, the players. Michael Penix Jr. 
a lot of hype for him heading into the draft. And I feel like at times unreasonable amount of focus is placed on how a quarterback performs on that big stage. People will try to extrapolate what that will mean for him at the NFL level. He had some sort of an injury, some sort of a lower abdominal injury. He continued to clutch at his flak jack at the lower portion of it. And he just was chased and beleared. He was only sacked once or twice on the night, but he was constantly under duress. And we were watching, Shireen, both the main broadcast and the Skycast, where you see the Skycam the whole game, and you see a lot of stuff that you don't see when you're watching the main broadcast. And there was a moment, and it was right before the fourth down play, where there were offsetting fouls and they did it again. The body language, he just was, he just was done. Not that he was, you know, making faces and throwing his helmet down. You could just tell this is a guy who's exhausted. Beat up. And who, yeah. and if you just, and, I, and Chris and I talk about this all the time, reading the facial expressions and the demeanor of quarterbacks, he just had given everything he could and, like, he's trying to break down a brick wall with his bare hands. And at some point, you're just like, I can't do it. I, it, just, it was just kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm out of gas. And I'm sure that injury, whatever that is, had something to do with it. But when you see that, it's like, yeah, they're not going to pull a rabbit out of the hat on this one. It's just a matter of time. And I felt bad for him on the final drive. I know you don't take him out of the game when it's 34-13. He's going to want to finish it to the end. But it was getting to the point where it's like, you know, this guy's got an NFL future. Let's not leave him in there to get injured now and have something that's going to affect his draft stock. It just felt like it had gotten to the point where somebody should have thrown the towel and pulled him out or just run the ball. Don't quit trying to throw. Just just concede. You're not going to score 21 points in three minutes. Just concede this one. I know there's pride that comes into play and there's stubbornness and you never give up. You never give up. And who knows what can happen? We knew what was going to happen. I just I was starting to, and I rarely feel that way watching a college game. I was starting to think, you know, it's probably not good for this kid to still be in here at this point. Yeah, because he does have an NFL future, Mike. And you're right, Washington wasn't going to come back late in that game. It just didn't have that feel to it ever. And, you know, I, I read it's it's funny how we have these knee-jerk reactions because I read on Twitter this morning, well, if Michael Pennant, if Texas had come back and beaten Washington last week, Michael Pennant's draft stock would have been much higher I mean, come on. It's one game. He still passed for 255 yards. I know he threw the two interceptions, and he was off on a couple of passes that he had wide-open receivers on. But I do agree with you. I think there was something there with the injuries, and it might have been more than one injury, the way he got beat up after that game. I can't imagine how he's feeling this morning when he wakes up. He's going to be awfully sore over that entire body, the way he got hit and hit and hit again uh, by the Wolverines. So, you know, I love what I've seen out of Michael. I haven't watched a ton of Washington games, but I probably saw four or five. And I love what I've seen out of this kid. I just think he's going to be a really good NFL quarterback. I just think he's got the it factor. Sort of like C.J. Stroud, you're going to hear, well, he has knee problems. You know, his age, all these other things. Said the same things, same, not those exact things, but they had things against C.J. Stroud last year. He came in and is lit it up this year in the NFL. So you hear this stuff all the time, Lamar Jackson. And I think that's what's going to happen with Michael Penix, Mike, is somebody's going to get a really good quarterback late in this draft, whether it's late in the first round or the second round or whenever he goes. I think somebody's going to end up with a really good value in Michael Penix.
One of the things I noticed when he was under duress, he was getting the ball out faster than maybe it should have gone out, and he overthrew guys a couple of times. You got to know when to take a little something off of it to hit that open receiver, and it's harder to do the more that you feel like you are constantly, repeatedly under pressure. And that doesn't mean he won't develop the ability to do that. So much of it is where you go, how good your teammates are, how good the coaching staff is, how good the organization is. That's why I'm always a firm proponent of especially the guys who know they're going to be taken high, quarterbacks who are going to be taken high, where you go to start your career could be the thing that decides everything about it. Look, Trey Lance lost on the depth chart in Dallas now. Third overall pick less than three years ago. It's just crazy how it can all fall apart quickly. But Penix, there's plenty of good. Like with all these guys, you don't know until they get there. Until you put them out on the field with other NFL caliber talent in games that count, you don't know whether or not they're going to have something that makes us say, this guy's a keeper or, okay, this guy's a backup, an emergency option. He's exhausted what we're going to see from him by way of greatness because it all just kind of washes out when you're out there with NFL caliber defenses and NFL caliber teammates on offense. Okay, so where will Jim Harbaugh be next year? That's going to be a dominant storyline. It already has been. The moment he hired Don Yee, who has Mm -hmm. a reputation and a history of representing people in the NFL, that was the signal. And so many people, and I understand if you're, a Michigan fan, and you don't want Jim Harbaugh to leave, you're going to interpret any development as a sign that that he's going to stay. Oh, no, he hired Don Yee to get this contract done and stay with Michigan. Look, if the contract was going to get done, it would be done by now. At, at, at best, if you wanted to stay at Michigan, he's going to use every ounce of NFL interest to leverage the best possible deal that he can. But what does he really need to do? He's just won the championship. Like, how much more can you squeeze out of Michigan based upon the fact that the Carolina Panthers want to interview him? So I think this is, and this is based on his own words from the past, Shereen. He has said he's got unfinished business at the NFL level. He has painted the picture of the Super Bowl being a bigger deal than the college football championship. And Oh, oh, by the way, by the way, and I'm not just saying this because the show is PFT Live. We haven't identified ourselves. If you're here, you know it's PFT Live, Peacock, Series XM85, Sky Sports, NFL, podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Super Bowl is a bigger deal. Just look at how many more people watch the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is a cultural phenomenon. College football national championship, big deal. Super Bowl, bigger deal. And he lost it in this Shakespearean battle with his brother. He wants to get back there and reverse the one glaring blemish on his coaching resume, losing a Super Bowl. He wants to go back and win. So, so he was asked that specific question, as he has been in different ways. i got to give the reporter credit here. Instead of asking him about the future, or are you going to entertain NFL jobs, or what about this one, what about that one, what about this one? Yeah. He was asked, do you want to add winning a Super Bowl to your resume? Here's what Jim Harbaugh had to say. I just want to enjoy this. I just want to enjoy this. Uh, and I hope you give me that, you know. <laughs> Can a guy have that? Does it, does it always have to be, you know, what's next? What's, what's the future? Yeah. Yes. Look. It does. If he was definitely staying, if he was definitely staying, he would say, I think he's definitely staying. But, yeah, it is fair. That's part of it. 
when you have allowed this situation to create itself, like no one's ever going to ask Nick Saban that after winning a championship because they know based on how he has conducted himself, he isn't going anywhere. Jim Harbaugh two years ago packed up and went to Minnesota thinking he was getting the Vikings job for that interview that didn't work out. Last year, he gets interviewed in Ann Arbor by Greg Penner of the Broncos. He's been flirting with the NFL for the past couple of years. And this year, he's operating from a much greater position of strength, Shireen. He's going to have multiple teams that are interested in him after he did what he did. And after he's shown, and I think this gets overlooked, he's shown he knows how to get a roster full of NIL-era college players to set aside I and fully embrace team. And that's critical because these guys are making it into the NFL now. And I've heard one of the cultural issues for NFL teams is kind of reverse engineering and undoing the, the mindset that guys are acquiring in college now. It's harder to get them to embrace team at the NFL level. Jim Harbaugh can do that. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, the other thing, Mike, that we haven't touched on yet is is the looming NCAA investigations, a level one and a level two. And, you know, Michigan did their part in suspending him for three games, but that's not going to be enough in the NCAA's eyes. So I think that's going to play into this, too, and push him toward the NFL. He wants to go anyway. You're right. He wants to win a he wants to win a Super Bowl as much as or more than he wants to win a national championship. Now that he's done that. But I think the, the looming NCAA investigations are definitely going to push him to the NFL. I don't think there's going to be any question. The Vikings, the Broncos, I think there was a, probably a little bit of question in his mind that he hadn't finished what he started at Michigan. He's done that now. He's finished what he wanted to do at Michigan. He's won them a national championship. He's done it. A lot of these players are leaving after this year. It's just like... In the NFL, free agency, that's what they have, NIL, and then their players also go to the pros. He's going to lose much of this team for next season. Could they go back and repeat? Absolutely. I mean, he's shown that he's got a consistent program at Michigan. He's shown he's able to do it over a three-year span now. They've been contenders. But I just think that this is the time, this is the right time for him to go to the NFL, Mike, and finish the unfinished business he now has in the NFL. He's done that in college, turned down the last two pro jobs that, that he probably could have had if he really wanted them. He could have had a pro job over the last two years. 
He obviously didn't want that, but he's done what he needed to do in college football, and now these these investigations loom, and I think he's headed to the NFL. I don't think there's any question. To me, the question is, where is he going? Scott Van Pelt interviewed Jim Harbaugh after the postgame press conference, of which we played a clip. One thing Harbaugh said is they're pushing spring practice back by a month, and he cited the wear and tear on the players, but also it gives the program even more of a runway to adjust to his departure and whoever they will hire to replace him. And it gives him a little more time on the front end as well to let the offers come to figure out where the best place is for him, because he's going to be looking to find a spot where he believes he's got the best chance to climb the mountain. And I thought of this last night, you know, is he going to prefer an NFC team? So he won't have to, cross yeah. paths with his brother on a more regular basis. If I ever see my brother again, it's going to be in a Super Bowl, not in a playoff game. I don't want that. I've already done that. I don't like that. I don't know. I don't know. But we've got the vacancies lining up. Chargers, he wanted the Chargers job last year. Chargers didn't have a vacancy. There were multiple big-name coaches who wanted to go work with Justin Herbert. Harbaugh was one of them, I'm told. I was told a year ago. The Raiders, that's where he started his coaching career as an assistant more than 20 years ago after his playing career ended. They're looking for a coach. Antonio Pierce, I think, deserves a shot. But if you're looking at Jim Harbaugh, possibly going to a division rival, and this is your moment to get him, and he may never come around again, it's a tough one for Mark Davis to resolve. The Panthers are looking and have been looking. The commanders have an opening. They've got this committee they're forming and I don't know how well Jim Harbaugh is going to work with a committee and they're talking to him and asking him questions how patients are going to be kind of like to be in the room for that the Falcons also looking for a coach and there may be other teams just because we're past Black Monday which the Falcons took very literally there could still be other jobs come open the Bears may decide to make a change if they think they can get Jim Harbaugh see this is the problem with striking the balance between the proper way to conduct a coaching search where it's open it's deliberate it's inclusive and then you've got the owners who say well if i can get that guy i'll make the change if i can't i don't want to make the change so before i fire my coach and go through a search for two or three weeks i kind of like to know i kind of like to have sufficient winking and nodding that i can trust that I know I'm going to get the guy I want. And I'm not saying that's what the Bears would do, but it just made me think of that dynamic. You may have a team that views Jim Harbaugh as an upgrade, but they don't view their current coach as somebody who needs to be fired. And you don't want to get yourself in a situation where you move on from a guy who's good enough in order to get a guy who's great, and then you end up with someone lesser than the guy you had if you would have known you couldn't get the guy you wanted to get. So... There could be some of that, and we know that stuff happens behind the scenes. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. They do all sorts of stuff that we might find out about later or never find out about. So there could be other teams as well. When I asked somebody over the weekend who's pretty plugged into the way the sausage is made in the NFL, Chargers, Raiders, Bears, Patriots. I was very surprised by the inclusion of the Patriots. Not so sure about that. But you know what? After 24 years of Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh is probably a breath of fresh air in New England. Yeah. Yeah, and and he's going to have his choice of jobs. My, when, when you look at the coaches, of, 
I, Jim Harbaugh wears out his welcome. I get that. But you know what? He also wins. He won in the NFL already. He's not like a college coach who's coming into the NFL, a Chip Kelly, where we don't know. We know. We have evidence. 44-19-1 with the 49ers. 13-3, and 11-4-1, 12-4, and 8-8. He won at the NFL. He took the 49ers to the Super Bowl. They had a chance to win that game. It was a great game. So, you know, you have evidence of how good he's going to be in the NFL. So if I'm one of these owners of a team that's thinking about changing coaches, I'm going to be interested in Jim Harbaugh. Whenever you change a coach or change a quarterback, you better be sure that the, that the next guy you get is going to be better than the one you had. Jim Harbaugh's better than most coaches in the NFL right now, half of the coaches in the NFL right now. So if you're thinking about making a change, Chicago, you're right, comes to mind. Matt Eberflus, it looks like he's going to stay right now. But if, if they have any interest in Jim Harbaugh, you, they better act now and make that move. And if I'm Jim Harbaugh, the Bears look very enticing to me with the draft picks they have and everything else, some of the players they have in place. I like the Bears job. Commanders, to me, might be the best job of all because right now they have, they're projected to have 85 to 90 million in cap space. They have all of those draft picks, nine draft picks, five in the first three rounds. So you can get a quarterback. Yes, you're going to start a rookie quarterback, but that's fine. Get get the coach that you want. Get the quarterback that you want. So, Mike, I just think he's wherever he wants to go, I, I think that team should be interested in him and pay him however much he wants to be paid to take that job. You mentioned one of the narratives about Jim Harbaugh, how he wears out his welcome. He did make it nine years in Michigan, and he they did. would keep him if he wanted to stay. And look, Jim Harbaugh is kind of a quirky guy. I get it. He can get a little feisty, rubs people the wrong way. Well, you know what? Great football coaches tend to do that. They tend to be a little demanding. They tend to be a little difficult. They tend to want to win, and they want everyone around them to be as committed to the cause as they are. And guess what? That creates friction if there's anybody who the coach thinks isn't doing what needs to be done, isn't living it the way it needs to be lived. When you want to go out there and win, and your main focus is winning, there are going to be some personality issues. The challenge for the team around him, more importantly, those above him in the organization, is to figure out how to work with him. And I am no Jim Harbaugh apologist. Now, my bias is I think the NFL is far more interesting with Jim Harbaugh in it. But it doesn't yeah. make it interesting because everything's great and he's going to be somebody who gives us a lot of access and I can text him and he'll text me back and we'll have him on the show and it'll be great and he'll be funny and he'll be engaging. No, he's, but he's an intriguing, compelling, dramatic presence who is successful. And shame on the 49ers. Said it before. Shame on the 49ers for not finding a way to make it work with him, for deciding after three years this isn't going to work long term. Even though NFC Championship, Super Bowl, NFC Championship, by 2014, they're ready to move on. Almost traded him to the Browns. If he wanted to go to the Browns, he would have gone to the Browns. He would have been the Browns coach in 2014 instead of finishing out that year in San Francisco where right after the season ended, they announced the mutual parting. And he said, there's no mutual parting. They fired me. They were done with him. They were done dealing with him. They didn't want to figure out how to navigate around his ego, his eccentricities, his temper, whatever. Meanwhile, his brother's been the coach of the Ravens since 2008, and they're exactly alike. They present it differently, 
but they're exactly alike. They're every bit as competitive and driven and motivated and prickly when they need to be prickly. Sometimes, sometimes coach has to be an ass. Sometimes coach has to get in your face. Sometimes coach has to tell other people who aren't pulling their weight the way they need to, what they need to do in order to get the ship moving in the right direction. So when you get a coach who has proven he can get it done, shame on you if you fail to figure out how to keep him around for the long haul. Because, look, 49ers are doing well now. Now they went through some crap with who was the offense, the defensive, Jim Tom Sula, Chip Kelly, and, you know, with yeah. Kyle Shanahan. They, they haven't won a Super Bowl yet. I, I, it's easy for me to say this because it can't be proven untrue. They would have won one by now if they'd have kept Jim Harbaugh for the last 11 years. I'm very confident of that. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. I, I think they would have, too. And it, it took him, obviously, a while uh, to get it going in Michigan. In nine years, he's been there and finally won the championship. But they were competitive, obviously, before that. So I, I agree with you. I think if he had stayed in San Francisco, they would have found a way to win at least one Super Bowl and continue the dynasty uh, that they started uh, there with Joe Montana and, and uh, Bill Walsh way back when. So, you know, it's unfortunate they couldn't work it out. You talked about quarterbacks needing a fit for wherever they go. You know, Vince Young wasn't a fit in Tennessee. I think he, I still think, even though an Aggie, I think Vince Young could have been a very good NFL quarterback. He went to the wrong place and it ruined him. Uh, and he didn't have a good NFL career. I think it's the same for coaches. I think it's got to be a fit, and it's got to be the right place, and, and it's got to match. So I don't know where that is for, for Jim Harbaugh, but he's got to figure that out. Who can he work best with of these teams that have openings and, and do the research and talk to these people and figure out where it's going to click for him. And you're right. Maybe it's not Washington because of all the people involved in that search. Maybe he doesn't want to deal with all those different people that he's going to have to deal with in Washington. Maybe it's somewhere else. But wherever it is, Jim Harbaugh's going to be successful, Mike. It may take him a few years. If they stick with him, whatever team he goes to, I can guarantee will win a championship. They have to stick with him long enough, but if they do, they will win a championship. The post-Mike Singletary 49ers, 6-10 going into 2011. And Jim Harbaugh instantly took them to the brink of the Super Bowl. They lost to the Giants in a game with a couple of muff punts. Remember all that? It was a, they could have gotten there. The next year they did. They could have won it. The next year they, they had an epic battle with the Seattle Seahawks, and the Seahawks ended up going to the Super Bowl and winning it. So it's there for the taking. Harbaugh is good enough to make it happen. The NFL is more interesting when he's in it. And, yeah, the question is, where does he go? 100%. You mentioned the commanders. Let's pivot to some of the stuff that came out yesterday from the teams that have made the decision and implemented the decision to move on from their current coaches. Josh Harris, the new, still new owner of the Washington Commanders, making his first major move on Monday, firing Ron Rivera and compiling. And, see, this is they did a nice job of keeping this all under wraps. They have been doing a lot of work behind the scenes that – Nobody knew about. Nobody found out about it. Nobody sent any texts to Shefty in exchange for future consideration. We found out that they're compiling this team that is going to help them figure out who will run the football operations, who will be the head coach. Here's Josh Harris meeting with reporters yesterday to discuss the search for the successor to Ron Rivera and a new head of football operations in Washington. 
Uh, I'm going to be leading that search, both for a head of football operations as well as a head coach. And uh, I'm going to be assisted by uh, my partners, Irvin uh, Magic Johnson, Mitch Rails, and David Blitzer, as well as uh, a couple very well-known uh, sports executives, Bob Myers, who I've known for many years and have a tremendous amount of respect for, and uh, Rick Spielman, who obviously is a 30-year uh, <clears throat> football executive, executive of the year, uh, obviously 10 years with the Vikings. Yeah, so we're looking for the uh, best uh, people to build an elite franchise that's going to uh, consistently compete and win championships. So that's kind of our goal. In terms of the structure, uh, obviously, I start with talent. You want the best talent. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you let the talent just, you know, just sort of influence the structure. But my orientation, obviously, is that um, <clears throat> being uh, a, the head of football operations, being, in essence, the, in that lead role, that's an 80-hour-a-week job. Uh, being a head coach, that's an 80-hour-a-week job. Um, I think there are two roles there. Um, and so I think it's harder. I mean, it, there are certainly individuals that control everything. Uh, I think it's increasingly hard, so my orientation is not to do that. But on the other hand, uh, I'm going to let, you know, I'm going to really be somewhat flexible around talent. He said a lot there. Somewhat flexible around talent yeah. could be the signal that if I decide I want Bill Belichick to be my head coach and I have to give him the keys, even though there'll be someone who is called the head of football operations, Bill Belichick will still be in charge. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. And, you know, Shereen, I'm curious to know, and the misadventures of the Panthers this year, I think, provides a very clear example as to how this happens. Josh Harris is in charge. Is he setting up this network, this table of people who will be advising him to truly objectively advise him? Or is this all just a way to make it look like what he wants to do anyway is the right thing to do. Because without Bob yeah. Myers and Rick Spielman and this person and that person to show that it's the right decision based on their own unique experiences, it just looks like a meddling owner who's coming in saying, this is what I want to do. And, you know, he rattled off three names of his partners. Like, for a lot of these teams, when you have limited partners – they are extremely limited. Art Rooney won't listen to a damn thing any of his limited partners say if they try to tell him what he should do. He runs that show. And with Josh Harris, like, you know, Irvin Magic Johnson is a very vocal presence, even though he owns a very small percent of the team. So you talked earlier, Shereen, about how attractive a place is. I don't know it's real attractive to me as a coach if I got to go to a place where I'm answering to this person, this person, that person, then I got this person over here, then I got this person over here, that makes it harder, not easier for me to do. It's more people I got to worry about. Who's on my side? Who's behind me? Who's working against me? We all need to be on the same page. We all need to be rowing the same boat. And the fewer people there are above the coach, the easier it is for the coach to do what he's trying to do. So I think that all this, whether Josh Harris realizes it or not, and he probably doesn't, to me makes it less attractive, not more attractive. 
Well, and that's certainly a question to ask in the interview process, Mike, is who am I answering to and, and how many layers are there here? You know, am I, am I going to be hearing from all these people through throughout my tenure here? So, yeah, the, all those are questions to, to be asked. But you're right. You don't want to have that many people involved if you're a head coach. Josh Harris, I was interested because he owns two other teams, Mike. He owns the Philadelphia 76ers. He owns the New Jersey Devils. He's done this a lot, which tells me he's not really that good at it. He's hired four GMs and three <laughs> coaches with the 76ers and three full-time coaches with the Devils. So he's done it over and over and over again. Maybe he finally gets it right with the commanders. Maybe that's why he's asking for help, because he hasn't gotten right with the, his other teams. But he hasn't built consistent winners with those other teams. So... I don't know how this is going to work out. He's certainly thinking outside the box of what NFL teams do. The Browns tried this with the chief strategy officer and all that and hasn't worked out that great for them. But if, if it does, I think other teams probably look at this model. If it doesn't, they say, yeah, new guy coming in. And, we, you know, other owners like when, when an owner – does it consistently put a good team on the field? They really like they like Dan Snyder in there because they could, knew they'd always beat Washington. So if this doesn't work out for Josh Harris, the other owners will be perfectly fine with this. Hey, we mentioned David Tepper. One of the main regrets for other owners at this point is that they regret they're not in the same division as Tepper's Carolina Panthers <laughs> because that's a team at this point. You just assume you're going to get two wins a year and they're going to continue to spin their wheels in the mud. So this is all, like you said, something's going to have to be figured out by the coach through the interview process. And it also comes down to the specific language of the contract. What are my powers? Who do I answer to? Who can I tell, sit down and shut up? What are you doing here? Why are you in my locker room? Why are you on my sideline? And still, even beyond the four corners of the contract, there's a broader cultural reality that you have to deal with it doesn't matter what your contract says when you show up for work and these people are hanging around and you know they're tight with the boss and the boss is the one who ultimately decides whether or not you're going to stay yeah you'll get a buyout but you still can't work there so i just think that there are warning signs and i know commanders fans right now are just happy to not have dan snyder yeah but as i said at the time this deal was done there's no guarantee you're going to have a better team you just have a different owner who doesn't embarrass you that's what you have so Josh Harris could be David Tepper with a more pleasing personality and he doesn't throw a drink on someone. That may be, you know, at the end of the day, we don't know. <laughs> but, but I believe, because I trust my source completely and entirely on this, Josh Harris is enamored with the idea of Bill Belichick being the coach of the commanders. Yeah. Whether or not that works is a different issue. Will he want more power than they're willing to give him? I don't know. But we'll see how it all plays out. They do need to upgrade from a talent standpoint. Their stadium continues to be crap. And that is where you're going to be working eight or nine days out of the year in games that count for the foreseeable future. There are some things that make it attractive. There are things that make it concerning. And I just think there may be too many chefs right now with a spoon in the stew. And I don't know how much of that is just cover for Josh Harris ultimately doing what he wants to do. Okay, so that's Washington. In Atlanta, it's much more simple. It's Arthur Blank and his right-hand man, 
who has no accountability. Great, we talked about this yesterday. And I don't, I like Rich McKay, but I still have to call it as I see it. Rich McKay's got the greatest job in football. He's got a big title. He's the head of the competition committee, and he has no accountability. He has none. Falcons are a train wreck. Oh, well, Arthur, what are we going to do? I don't know, Rich. You tell me what to do. I'd fire you, but then I wouldn't have anybody to tell me what to do. So we see it with so many teams where you have an executive who is insulated from all accountability, who is there elbow to elbow, not GM Terry Fontenot, after they fired head coach Arthur Smith, Rich McKay, elbow to elbow with Arthur Blank yesterday. Rich ain't going nowhere, baby. So uh, they, they, they said yesterday in this hour and a half, that's their thing too. Yeah. You, you got to know when to bring the hook out. You got to know when to end it. Sometimes <laughs> you let it go on too long and the owner says something's a problem for himself and everyone else. So what Arthur Blank and or Rich McKay said yesterday is the only timetable is to do it correctly. GM Terry Fontenot will be heavily involved in the process going forward. I still get the feeling they'll be willing to marginalize and or sacrifice him if that's what's needed to get the coach they want. So for now, we're keeping him. But but I remember when the Jets wanted Bill Cower back in, I think, 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. 2009, the year they hired Rex. Cower wanted Tannenbaum out. Mike Tannenbaum, GM, wanted his own people. Well, Jets wouldn't do it. Okay, then that that's that. If, if the coach that Arthur Blank decides he wants, with the input of Rich McKay, wants to move on from Terry Fontenot, Terry Fontenot is going to be moved on from. So they're kind of that, – that's just my take on the absence of Fontenot from yesterday's press conference, for example, and the fact that he's still there even though he's as responsible for Desmond Ritter as Arthur Smith was. So, you know, Shireen, I don't know how attractive this job is either, but at least you don't have a bunch of people to worry about. You have two, Arthur Blank and Rich McKay. Yeah, it, it was really weird, Mike, and it's almost like Terry Fontenot has no role in that team. And if I'm Terry Fontenot, I'm probably looking to go elsewhere if possible, but I don't know where he would get another job. But, yeah, I don't think that his status is set in stone at this point. If they hire a Bill Belichick or a Jim Harbaugh, is that coach going to want that GM? And the coach will be – if it, if it is a Jim Harbaugh or Bill Belichick, the coach is going to be the face. The cho- coach is going to be the decision maker. It was just like Sean Payton last year going to Denver. You know what? If if he hadn't wanted the GM there, the GM would have been gone. And and that's going to be the same situation uh, with this team. And wherever those two guys end up, it, it, they're going to be the ones to decide whether the GM's going to stay or go. And they may stay for a year and then go. But it is interesting that Terry Fontenot wasn't at the press conference, had no voice uh, in what was going on, and and I think he should have been there. So I don't know what's going to happen with the Falcons. When I look at the team, they have no quarterback. They won too many games. You know, I just I struggle with this team a little bit. Can you win? They certainly have some weapons. They didn't use them very well this year in Kyle Pitts and B. John Robinson. I thought they did a really poor job of using those two weapons that they have out there. But I'm with you. I don't know that, that this looks like a very attractive job other than you have two people to satisfy, and that's the owner and Rich McKay. Well, and Chris and I were talking about this yesterday. It's not all that hard to envision what was happening in the owner's suite during games this year when B. John Robinson isn't being mm-hmm. used the way that he could have been or should have been. Kyle Pitts has been MIA. 
relative to what we all thought his production level would be. And what will Rich McKay and Terry Fontenot say under those circumstances when the team is struggling? Man, why aren't we using Bijan Robinson more? Why are we doing this more? Why are we doing that more? And now it was nearly 100 minutes and I jumped through it last night trying to find the Lamar Jackson stuff that we're going to talk about momentarily because I always want I never want to trust someone else's characterization of which quotes are important and which ones aren't. I want to hear it myself. I want to see it myself when it's something that may be nuanced and difficult and detailed. But my, my, my takeaway was from some of the parts I've already heard, and I'm going to listen to all of it today, they're blaming it on the coaching of Desmond Ritter, not the selection of Desmond Ritter. And that may want, that may cause ownership to want the next coach to at least give Desmond Ritter a chance, even if the new coach will say, I've seen enough, and he can be a backup, but he can't be the starter. So, uh, look, these jobs become open for a reason. Coaches get fired because the results aren't good enough. What can you do in one year to turn it around? We've seen Andy Reid turn the Chiefs around from the moment he showed up. We saw Jim Harbaugh turn the 49ers around the moment he showed up. We saw D'Amico Ryans turn the Texans around the moment he showed up. It's not impossible, but you need to be in a position where you can attract somebody, Shereen, who's good enough to do it. You know you're a bad team, but you better be able to attract someone who sees the opportunity to win, notwithstanding the things that helped get the last coach fired. And sometimes, Mike, that's as simple as giving them enough money to say, we'll give you more money than anybody else. Sometimes that works. But whatever works to get that coach that you want, you have to make that work. Whatever the coach wants. If, if it's a coach you are positive you can win with, you go get that coach. And, and you do whatever is necessary. Give him however much power he needs, however much money he needs, whatever he needs. The resources and the money to make that work. So... You know, I look at these jobs, I don't know that I would want any of them. They all have flaws because you're right. When you fire a head coach, there's a reason you fire the head coach because you weren't very good and you've got a lot of problems within the organization. And that's what these teams face right now. So, you know, if I'm looking at a team like the Texans that could turn it around in one year, I don't know. Maybe the Chargers, simply because they have the quarterback in place, but they're so far over the salary cap right now that they're going to have to cut a lot of these players and really do it on the cheap with some young players coming up. They all have flaws, Mike, and that's why they're in the situation they're in. Yeah, somebody over the weekend told me about the Chargers. You know, Justin Herbert makes it very attractive, but once you start scratching the surface there – there's a lot of dysfunction that goes overlooked and unnoticed. Yep. One of the things about being the B team in L.A. is you don't get scrutinized the same way the Rams do, and there's a lot there that may make it unattractive. And, and that's why when it comes to Bill Belichick, I continue to say we need to watch the 14 teams who are still playing, depending upon how things go yeah. with one of those teams, which inevitably will lose. Six teams will lose this weekend. A decision may be made to go get Bill Belichick. And if you're Belichick and you're looking at playoff roster versus – team that needs a lot of work, you're going to be more interested in a team that is already set up to win. And you don't have to worry about who am I going to get to be the quarterback? Do I trust myself as an evaluator of personnel? I got the personnel. I just have to go coach them, which is why.
could be one of the reasons why Jerry Jones failed to give a ringing endorsement to Mike McCarthy when he was asked about it on Sunday. That is a very keen point of interest in these parts as the as the offseason unfolds. Will Bill Belichick end up with Shireen's Dallas Cowboys? We can only help. Oh, common link. Roger Staubach back to Navy. It all makes sense. He used to catch passes from Staubach. It just all it's all maybe coming together. All right. I mentioned Lamar Jackson and Arthur Blank. Let's hear from Blank yesterday. He was asked again. He talked about it last year, right after they didn't make a run at Lamar Jackson, when he was available to anybody who wanted to sign him to an offer sheet, sign him to a sheet that the Ravens won't match. You give up two first-round picks. It's a no-brainer. you got a franchise quarterback. We are, I, we are a competitive team. We're relevant. We're maybe competing for a championship. He was asked about it again yesterday. Let's have a listen to how Arthur Blank justified and rationalized the failure to pursue Lamar Jackson when he was available last March. You know, I don't think so. I mean, I think that, I mean, it's easy to say yes, you know, looking given his year, he's an obviously incredible player. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, did not have the cap space. I think the coaching staff felt, uh, coaching personnel, all of us felt collectively, but certainly coach and Terry that, you know, we felt we had an answer and, uh, in Ritter, a uh, younger player without, you know, that kind of contract that would have kept us from actually building the team we want we wanted to build. And so I think, you know, the, the result of that thinking was that let's um, let's stay the course. Let's uh, uh, continue to pursue the vision that we have now, continue to build a roster, build this foundation offensively and defensively. Uh, and, and go from there. Uh, it's not a criticism of Lamar. Uh, you know, you can debate whether or not uh, he would have really been available or not. You know, who knows uh, whether they would have matched uh, whatever offers were on the table. Uh, I don't know that. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, certainly a great player, uh, for sure. Had a great year. Sometimes I set up the sound perfectly. Sometimes I blow it. I blew that one. I should have said blank was asked a specific question. Does he regret not pursuing Lamar Jackson? And he said, I don't think we do. Now, here's the reality. And we can parse through the words. What he said back in April, a little bit different than what he said yesterday. Back in April, it was about we didn't want to commit 25% of the salary cap to one guy. Well, that's like $56 million in cap dollars for this year. The Ravens got him for around $22.15 million in cap dollars. So that, that's a cop-out. You can make it work under the cap yeah. if you have a great player that you're going to go get. The injury history was cited in April. All he mentioned yesterday was we didn't have the cap space. Well, you, you, you did. You could, have, you could have made it work if you wanted to make it work. You just didn't want to make it work. And, Shereen, this is all being said against the background of a collusion grievance – that he's playing out with owners being questioned under oath. Blank is surely going to be one of them if he hasn't been already. And this is all about the broader power play between management and labor over guaranteed contracts. How many players are going to get fully guaranteed contracts? We don't like veteran players to get five-year fully guaranteed contracts. Jimmy Haslam was a pariah for giving Deshaun Watson one. That's a big part of this whole Lamar Jackson dance. We can't forget that. Because if they would have moved heaven and earth to get Lamar Jackson, if they would have crafted an offer the Ravens didn't refuse, they wouldn't have been holding a press conference yesterday to announce the firing of Arthur Smith. They'd have been getting ready for the playoffs. Yeah. There's no question about that, Mike. And and nobody went after Lamar Jackson. And 
I mean, I think we're all sitting here questioning that decision when he's going to be the runaway winner of the MVP award. He was the best player in the NFL this season. I don't think there's any argument about that except from fans of other teams who think their player deserves it more. So, you know, they did explore trading for Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson's a better player by far than Deshaun Watson and frankly would have cost you less money because you wouldn't have had to probably give him the fully guaranteed contract, but you could have given him more guaranteed money and gotten him. And you're right. They'd be in the playoffs getting ready for a playoff game instead of firing a head coach, Mike, if they had done what they should have done and and tried to sign Lamar Jackson. Now, he's right. The Ravens might have matched that, but at least you could have said that you tried. You tried everything. You could tell. sit here and tell your fans – We tried everything to get Lamar Jackson. We signed him to an offer sheet. It didn't work out, but we tried. But they can't say that today. They haven't tried everything to be a winning football team. So if I'm a Falcons fan, I'm a little disturbed by that, that that they didn't do that. The fact that they might stick with Desmond Ritter the way they talk, that it was coaching more than Desmond Ritter. You know, I I don't know as a coach, again, as we're talking about, if if I look at this team and go, this is, is this really where I want to go if they're not going to be fully committed to winning in this thing? That's the NFL's version of the big lie. Every owner will say that every given year they want to win the Super Bowl and they're going to do whatever it takes to win the Super Bowl. There are limits to what they will do because there is a broader apple cart they don't want to upset. They don't want the balance of power to shift toward the players generally. Even Jerry Jones, I think there are limits. He'll say, oh, you'd be surprised about the size of the check that I would write if it would guarantee me a Super Bowl. That's, that, 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 that has a caveat, and the caveat is I will not push the envelope as far as I possibly can within the confines of the CBA, guaranteed contracts, other things that I can do to lure players away from other teams. I won't do that if it undermines the broader business model because the reality is only one team wins the Super Bowl, 31 teams lose, all 32 are winning financially, and they don't want to do anything that makes it harder for them to have massive profits each and every year. And that's just reality. And I know that it's hard if you're a football purist, you don't want to hear that, that the business concerns overcome football concerns. They do. Lamar Jackson would be the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons right now. Or, at a minimum, the Ravens would have had to match an offer that would have been structured in a way to make it very difficult for them to match it if Arthur Blank prioritized winning over not getting dirty looks at cocktail parties from his fellow billionaires. Plain and simple. That's my belief. That's my belief. And uh, if I was wrong, if I am wrong, Lamar Jackson would either be the quarterback of the Falcons or they would have forced the Ravens to pay more than they ultimately paid by putting an offer on the table that the Ravens would have had no choice but to match. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I have no doubts about that. And and I think the Ravens would have tried to match that offer, obviously, but maybe it's structured in a way, as you said, Mike, that it's impossible for them to match and the Falcons end up with the MVP. This can you imagine if the Falcons had the MVP this season? I mean, they may have the number one seat with the offensive weapons they have on that team. Lamar Jackson and B. John Robinson's together throwing to Kyle Pitts. 
That would have been an amazing offense. Could they have gotten it done with Arthur Smith? I think they would have at least won that division. That's the other thing we don't talk about is what a, a bad division that is. They could have easily won the division and had an opportunity to, to do something in the playoffs if you have a good quarterback. If you have a good quarterback, Mike, and you're in the playoffs, you got a chance to win. I don't care what seed you are, you've got a chance to win if you have a good quarterback. The Chiefs are not the number one seed this year. They're not the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I tell you what, they've got a chance because they have Patrick Mahomes. It would have been the same thing with the Falcons with Lamar Jackson. And they would have had a chance to be the one seed when you're in that horrible division. All due respect to the Buccaneers, Saints, and, well, no respect to the Panthers. All due respect to the Buccaneers and the Saints. But you're the one seed. 49ers got to come to you. Oh, wait, can Lamar Jackson play against the 49ers? Yes, he can. Yes, we know that. He can. So uh, any time, and you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it, folks, especially right around the time that they want you to renew your season tickets. You're going to hear that. We want to win the Super Bowl. We're going to do everything we can to win the Super Bowl. Just remember, just remember where you heard it. They really don't to the extent that they have to do something that's going to make the other members of Club Oligarch upset with them. Jimmy Haslam found out the hard way. Arthur Blank stayed away from that, that you know, high-voltage problem he would have had if he had gone after Lamar Jackson. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Yesterday was very active for the 18 teams, for most of them that are done. That's the day you clean out the lockers, the media shows up, and you get some quotes on some things that... We'll talk about next as it relates to a couple of quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers. That's next here on PFT Live. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 